Hello and welcome to Maiden Mother Matriarch with me, Louise Perry. My guest today is Rachel Wong, lawyer and CEO of Women's Forum Australia, an independent think tank that advocates on behalf of women. We spoke about various uh, legal issues concerning feminists in Australia and New Zealand right now, everything from surrogacy to self-ID to prostitution uh, to pornography, why Australia and New Zealand seem to be much more extreme on progressive issues for some reason, and the extent to which this is all downstream of uh, the legal changes that we discuss over the course of the podcast. The extended version of this episode can be found at louiseperry.substack.com, where you can also find bonus episodes, the back catalogue, and the MMM chat community. Enjoy. Should we start by talking about this uh, conversion practices ban bill um, that might be going through in New South Wales? Can you tell me why why you think it's something that gender critical feminists should be worried about? Okay, yes. Yeah. So um, there is a bill at the moment that's being proposed in New South Wales. It's, it's a little bit complicated because at the outset, an independent politician called Alex Greenwich actually introduced two bills earlier this year. So he introduced a conversion ban practices bill and he also introduced an equality bill, quote unquote, which basically included self-identification, fully deregulated prostitution and commercial surrogacy. So we can park that one for now. He introduced the bill banning, <laughs> yeah, we can come back to it. He introduced the bill banning, uh, banning conversion practices. But my understanding is that the current Labor government are not going to be taking up his bill, but they will rather be introducing their own, which is a promise that they made um, at the last election. And so we don't actually have a copy of that bill yet, but my understanding is that it will be introduced by the end of the year and debated sometime next year. Um, they've told us that it's not going to be as extreme as Victoria's. So at the moment in Australia, we already have conversion practices bans in Victoria, the ACT and Queensland, Victoria being the most extreme. And the Labor government in New South Wales have promised that it won't be as extreme as that. And I'm not sure if you know much about what's happened in Victoria, but basically their bill on conversion practices basically bans um, anyone from attempting to change or suppress a person's person's sexuality or gender identity, which basically means that gender affirmation practices are mandated in law. Um, and that can come with uh, prison sentences of up to 10 years, depending on the severity of the injury um, to the person who um, is having those conversion or uh, practices being put upon them, which basically, you know, means potentially in the case of someone who is gender dysphoric, just simply being offered other solutions or, or a more holistic assessment. Even just therapy that explores alternatives could potentially come under this banner. Exactly, exactly. And so that's the current case in Victoria, which has the most set, extreme set of legislation. Um, Queensland only targets health professionals, is my understanding, and the ACT targets um, health professionals and I think religious organisations and the jail terms are less than in Victoria and Victoria's are quite high. So New South Wales, apparently it's not going to be, you know, not like Victoria's, it's going to be more moderate, but who knows what that even means. So we're just sort of really waiting to find out. And I guess gender critical feminists, gender critical advocates should be particularly concerned about laws like this. And I understand that you've got something similar being proposed in the UK as well, because it basically enforces gender ideology and law. It 
mandates gender affirmation practices in law because to present another option to present as you mentioned therapy or some other kinds of holistic solutions which try to look at the deeper issues and try to steer a child or an adult away from those medicalized gender affirmation practices they're basically considered as trying to you know suppress a person's gender identity or to change them in some way i find it crazy how um how authoritarian Australia is on so so we so yes in the UK there have been talks of introducing conversion therapy bans in this model and we've had exactly the same pushback from gender critical feminists because and and other groups because as you say it would end up um, potentially criminalizing the sort of therapy that we absolutely should be providing to anyone who's thinking of going through radical life-changing surgery right but we're a bit sort of um I don't want to use the word behind but Australia is kind of <laughs> Australia's forged ahead with this more aggressively than the UK and many other countries. Do you I mean, one, would you agree with that assessment? Do you think that Australia is a little bit more extreme on this? And two, do you think if so, why that might be? Like what what are the sort of what are the what who are the groups within Australia who are really, really pushing for this stuff to happen? Okay, so lots of lots of questions. So definitely I think Australia is more extreme and um Uh, I've been in the UK for a few weeks now and part of that time was spent actually meeting with a lot of gender critical advocates, feminists in the UK, in in London, in Edinburgh, and trying to actually figure out what the difference has been in Australia um, and the UK because for sure we are a lot further ahead in a a bad way. We're a lot more progressive in in an incredibly bad way on these issues. Um, we've got self-ID laws across the entire country apart from New South Wales, which is where I'm from. We've got gender bans in about half the country. And um, look, I think there's a few different things at play in terms of um, why it's more extreme. I think, I mean, look, we've got something similar to what you have in the UK. Um, Your Stonewall, so our equivalent would be ACON, and ACON, um, in addition to other similar kinds of organizations have really infiltrated the um the media the the government the you know the corporates other institutions and that has had a huge impact on i guess the propagation of gender ideology throughout australian culture um i think our media isn't as i don't know i don't know if i want to use the word strong i don't know if it's as diverse or maybe it's just a lot more sort of left-leaning than yours especially our um, our government-funded broadcaster. So I know that the BBC hasn't necessarily been great on these issues either, but our ABC is particularly bad, um, incredibly captured by gender ideology, signed up to all the you know diver- um, diversity schemes put forward by ACON. When the Tavistock scandal broke in the UK, the ABC didn't even report on it. It was so bad that its, its own media watch actually chastised it and said, you know, why haven't you reported on this like massive story? And their response was basically, well, you know, it's international. It's not really relevant. And it's like, hello. <laughs> so, um, so our media's, our media's pretty bad. The other thing that seemed, that was quite interesting speaking to um, some of the women over here is that there seems to be a bit more, the laws seem to move a bit slower. Like there seems to be a bit more respect around lawmaking in the UK, in Australia, same with New Zealand. Laws can be pushed through incredibly quickly um, with, Queensland self-ID law earlier this year. We had a bill introduced in December last year. We had um, consultations taking place over the over the summer period uh, where everyone was basically on holiday. So we had submissions due during that period. And then the bill, there was a parliamentary inquiry, a debate, and the bill passed. And that was all within like less than six months. 
Um, so it was a very quick process. It seems like things maybe move a little bit more slowly over here. I think you've also got better, um, I don't know, longer standing feminist groups, better coordinated groups. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a bit of work we need to do in Australia. Like, there's definitely some really good things happening, but we're a lot further ahead in terms of the legal side of things. And we've got a lot more to roll back. And I can't remember your other question. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That was that. I mean, I was going to say that that the mention of groups is probably an opportunity to talk a little bit about um, Women's Forum, Forum Australia and 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 your position on this and other issues because it seems like you're a really important force um, representing the gender critical side in Australia. Yeah. So Women's Forum Australia is an independent not for profit think tank that was set up in 2004. Um, we work across a wide range of issues affecting women and girls and we do research education and policy advocacy on those issues with a view to changing policy and culture in a way that's really genuinely pro-woman so um, really just trying to go by evidence-based research and sort of listening to women's stories and really trying to dig a bit deeper um, underneath this kind of rhetoric that we sort of hear a lot in our culture particularly with um, I guess liberal mainstream feminism, words like choice and empowerment and freedom and trying to really dig a bit deeper into what has actually been chosen and whether women actually do have a real choice when it comes to things like, um, you know, surrogacy or porn or prostitution or even abortion um, and also obviously in relation to things like transgenderism as well. So, um, yeah, we've been really focused on this issue in particular over the last few years just because it is impacting sort of every area of life, not just for women, but for Australians in general, particularly when it comes to, you know, freedom of expression and association. And I guess at the end of the day, if you can't even define what a woman is, then how can you advocate for them in any area? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I quite agree. Um, let's stick with trans for the moment, although I do want to talk about surrogacy later because um, Australia is more um, liberal on surrogacy, isn't it? So all some states are. So I do want to get onto that. Um, but on the trans thing, um, I mean, what would you say is the most pressing issue right now in Australia? So there's the conversion, there's the conversion ban bill. What's going on with prisons, for instance? Because I always personally, for me, prisons is the thing that I find most shocking. I, I, I just find it so, so there are certain things that feminists of every stripe are supposed to agree on. You know, one of them is that sexual violence is a bad thing, right? And I just find it so awful when you end up with feminists pushing to have literal convicted rapists locked up with women who are disproportionately likely to be victims of sexual violence. So for me, the, the prisons has always been like top of the list of the most egregious issues. Am I right that there have been... Um, the, the the same stuff that's been happening in the UK with prisons has been happening in Australia as well. Yeah, that's right. And look, I couldn't agree with you more. For me, that is one of the most um, devastating issues when it comes to the um, propagation of gender ideology in Australian culture and throughout the world. These women who have been locked up, these vulnerable women who have been locked up with violent male um, offenders. So because uh, I'm not sure if maybe the UK is similar, it's quite difficult to get data and statistics um, on this issue because it's just not been recorded. I mean, we've done FOIs to um, different governments to try and figure out how many males are being housed in women's prisons. And there, there are some women's groups in Australia actually like Fair Play for Women who have done some much better um, research around this issue. But it's quite difficult to get the data because they don't, like if someone has transitioned, that won't be evident in the in the data that they have. And so um, we know for sure that there is a 
male sex offender being housed in a woman's prison in Victoria. Um, those women have tried to petition basically all the Victorian authorities. We've done the same. Others have done the same. No one seems to care. Um, so he's still in there. We're not actually sure if he's been integrated yet because when this first happened late last year, he hadn't been integrated into the prison with the woman, but the intention was that eventually he would be fully integrated. Um, and so we're, we're still trying to figure out what's happening with that. Um, there are also male offenders being housed in New South Wales prisons for sure. Um, I'm not sure about the statistics for some of the other states, but there definitely have been multiple male sex offenders convicted. It's just very, very difficult to find out which prisons they're held in. And it's actually, to be honest, quite scary, the protection racket that's around these people, because I've had people try to, to find out by looking through, um, you know, court case searches, trying to, you know, do FIOs, all this kind of thing. And it's incredibly difficult to get the information. You know, a lot of them have name changes um, as well and use pseudonyms. And yeah, it's just, it's very hard. And what's the state of play in terms of sort of the feminist groups on either side, aside from Women's Forum Australia. So I presume that there are liberal feminist groups who are pushing for greater sort of radicalism around trans activism, as well as, 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 well as women who are pushing back. Yeah, so we work with a lot of, um, we work with a broad range of women, um, lots of left-wing feminists, lots of sort of conservatives, people sort of in the middle, people who don't really identify with any of those kinds of um, labels. And um, and we sort of will work together to kind of push back against this. I would say that um, in terms of the groups publicly pushing back, there would be probably less of us than the ones pushing for these kinds of things because in in the public sphere that is like I think on the kind of more general level the ordinary person if you explain this to them they're as shocked and disgusted by it as you and I would be but a the ordinary person doesn't necessarily know this is happening because the media is not talking about it uh, and b they don't have the voice so it's either groups like mine and there are there are like a few of us and there are definitely some fantastic women who are speaking out about these issues but we wouldn't have as much of a voice as, for example, the more kind of mainstream liberal feminists who are kind of paraded in the media and who have access to all those kinds of outlets. So, um, yeah, I guess I guess the main issue is that the mainstream media in particular is just incredibly captured. So anyone, whether it's the media presenters or the people that they're interviewing, they're generally speaking always going to be on the side of transgender rights and pushing pushing the ideology. I mentioned before we started recording that my family are Australian, some um, listeners will know that. And I'm so sad to hear that the ABC has been captured like this because I, I exclusively have fond memories of watching like children's TV on the ABC and listening to it at my grandparents' house. And it, I think culturally, right, it is it has a similar kind of role to the BBC as, as it's supposed to be this extremely trusted um, source of news and commentary and entertainment. How, how long, I mean... Can you give me some sense of the time frame here in terms of when these institutions really fell? How recent is it that they really got on board? Oh, that's a really good question. And I'm, I'm not sure if I can answer it. It's definitely been, um, it's definitely been over a decade, probably more than that. Um, and it's interesting you making the comment about sort of it being that institution that you can trust. Cause the sad thing is a lot of people do still really trust it. And that's why it's so difficult um, advocating on these issues because a lot of people do still turn to the ABC as their main source of news and you know they don't have any 
reason in their minds not not to trust them. So it does make it very difficult. What about conservative news outlets in Australia? Do, are there are there some that are providing a, a kind of a counter narrative? Yeah, so we definitely have some really good conservative news out, outlets. So we've got Sky News, who have been speaking a lot about the um, gender ideology related issues. So women's spaces, medical transitioning of children. The Australian has also been doing a very good job as well. Um, some of our local papers like the Daily Telegraph in Sydney um, and some of the other sort of state-based papers as well. So we definitely do have some media diversity. It's just not the the big government funded platforms that are, I guess, um, on the same page as we are. It's those kind of more privately funded ones. Um, but to be honest, we're doing a lot better than New Zealand, which is where I'm originally from, which basically has no media, no media diversity whatsoever. Like it's just, it's just, yeah, it's really, really, really hard for the Kiwis right now because every single institution in the media is basically captured. Unless you're like a very new sort of independent startup media outlet, like you're not going to get, you're not going to get anything else apart from the mainstream narrative, which is that, um, transgender rights are human rights and you know trans women are women and etc etc so um yeah so we, we do have some good outlets in australia and i'm not sure if you saw recently but this year like our first really mainstream media outlet which was seven news did an incredible documentary on detransitioners and that was i think quite a big turning point for us because up until now you know we've had some really great coverage from the more conservative media platforms which in itself has been great because even if not everyone tunes into those it's really good to be able to share that kind of stuff on social media which obviously goes a lot further um but seven news is is not I don't think traditionally a conservative platform and they did an entire documentary on detransitioning and it was excellent. Like it far exceeded my expectations. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely helped to create some more conversations and hopefully going forward, there'll be more things like that. Posey Parker, <laughs> right. When she, I, you know, I think many listeners will know about New Zealand being particularly crazy on this issue because of Posey Parker's experience when she went to New Zealand beginning of this year, last year. Yeah, it feels like a lifetime ago now, but it was um, the beginning of this year. Yeah. Was it in Australia that there was the, the furore over the supposed Nazi salutes at this protest? And I, I mean, it just the impression that I got from following the news of, of, um, uh, Kelly's tour of Australia, New Zealand, and she did. She came on the podcast not that long ago to talk about this. Was that Australia, New Zealand, was so so extreme on this on this issue? Yeah, that's right. So I actually, I I, I recently met Kelly J in London, which was excellent because I actually missed her at both the New Zealand and Australian rallies because I was in opposite countries at both times, which is very frustrating. Um, but saw all the media coverage, heard all the news from all you know my friends who attended, all the other sort of gender critical women's advocates and um and yeah both places I mean look there were some places in Australia that weren't as bad Victoria was particularly bad and that's the one um where the Nazis basically great crashed the rally or sort of you know performed a salute on the sets of parliament sort of adjacent to the rally they were not part of the rally at all clearly I mean <laughs> if you know sort of Nazi views if they were even were Nazis they're not people who particularly um, care for women's rights, you know what I mean? So they gatecrashed the rally and then that was used to basically smear all the women who attended, in particular Kelly J. Keane, Moira Deeming, who's a Victorian MP, Angie Jones, who's a um, women's rights advocate there, to smear them as basically being Nazi, Nazi associates and Nazi um, sympathisers, which then led to Moira Deeming being expelled from her own party in Victoria. 
um, she's now got a she's now um, pursuing a defamation claim against the leader who basically called her a Nazi associate. And my understanding is that Kelly J Keene is also pursuing a defamation claim against him as well. Um, and so, yeah, Victoria was particularly bad. The laughable thing is, is that no one, no one really cared about the Nazis. No one really went after the Nazis who gate crashed and saluted at Parliament. All they cared about doing was smearing the women who were there. Um, and so, I think that sort of says a lot about the intentions and motivations of um, those people. It's not about Nazism. It's basically about shutting down women from speaking about their sex-based rights. Um, and then New Zealand was even worse because they basically heard this news from Australia. So in Australia, there'd been these reports of these so-called, um, you know, Nazi associates and et cetera. And so by the time Kelly J. King came to New Zealand, there'd been this whole, everything had been sort of amplified and, um, I mean, even my mum, so like, get this, my mum, who's she's on the same page with me um, with, you know, a lot of these issues and she messaged me and she was like, oh, I heard this, you know, this woman, Kelly J. Keene is coming to New Zealand. Like, it looks like she's um, on the same page with you on a lot of these sort of gender issues, but, you know, apparently she's a Nazi, so, you know, not really sure about this. And I was like, mother, please turn off the news. <laughs> so um, anyway, she she gets it now, but like, this is literally like, this is like what the ordinary person is getting, like they're, they're watching the mainstream media and they're hearing that these people are Nazis. And so when they come, um, you know, anyway, and so I guess that's part of the reason why the Kiwis got so crazy, but also, unfortunately, the population, I think, is also quite captured in particular because the mainstream media is so bad on this issue. Australia and New Zealand are small countries, right, like population-wise in terms of the Anglosphere. Presumably, I'm guessing people are consuming a lot of American media as well, as well as British media, is there a kind of, I, I think an enormous part of the problem in the UK in terms of us just jump, just, just jumping on this, this, this crazy bandwagon, right. And running with it is so many progressives being well, like what I think of as Yankee brained, like just so obsessed with American media and culture, like it, seeing it as being very high status to be concerned with American things. And I think like, it's not surprising that America would lead the way on all this kind of stuff because it has a private healthcare system where people make money from, you know, creating life, lifelong patients, et cetera. Okay. Is there a similar kind of phenomenon in Australia where people are very focused and, and maybe even more so in New Zealand where people are very focused on American politics? That's a really, really interesting question. Um, Maybe it's the Brits who are Yankee brained. Yeah, Yankee. it's an interesting question because my, and look, I could be wrong, but like my sort of sense is that Aussies and Kiwis actually kind of more pride themselves on being like almost a little bit anti-American sometimes. So I don't know if they, I mean, that being said, I think it's absolutely inevitable that American culture um, would have an impact on Australia and New Zealand. And I think it has an impact everywhere just because it is just pushed so strongly through, you know, entertainment and, and even, um, and even, the news, even if we're not directly watching American news, America is always so relevant. So um, I think it's inevitable that it will have an impact, but I don't know that Kiwis and Aussies necessarily glorify America in the same way. That being said, definitely the social media stuff that's coming out of there is no doubt impacting like our young people. And obviously we've got it in Australia and New Zealand as well, but a lot of the social media influencers, the YouTubers, um, those promoting sort of transitioning, that's definitely having a huge impact. Should we talk about some of the other issues that um, you're concerned with as well? So, so surrogacy is one. Another is prostitution, because am I right that there are some 
there are different there are different laws across different states, right? But in New South Wales, for instance, there's quite a liberal attitude taken towards the sex industry. Is that right? Remind me of the of, yes, of the that's different... right. Yeah, so it, yeah. It's, it's pretty varied throughout the country. New South Wales has had legalized or decriminalized prostitution for a while now. I think it's one of maybe maybe three states, and then um, yeah, it, it's pretty varied. Like some, I think it's maybe Western Australia and South Australia is still legal, and then there's kind of like a group in the middle where it's sort of you know kind of legal in some circumstances, but they're not in others. And then New South Wales is pretty much like it's pretty liberalized here um as it is um but the bill i mentioned earlier the equality bill that alex greenwich has put forward basically wants to deregulate it like completely in the sense that at the moment there are still some regulations around where um people can buy sex so like you know you can't do it in front of a school or a church or whatever whereas that will be completely gone um there won't be any regulations around advertising or that kind of thing so it's it's basically completely deregulated anyway apart from these very like yeah these kinds of things which he just wants to really get rid of as well so yeah does he does does that have a chance of I mean, like soliciting outside of school just seems to me like such (laughs) obviously something that we shouldn't be permitting. Does he have a chance of getting that passed? I mean, look, it's hard to say. He's been, he's a very savvy political operator and he's had um, quite a bit of success with pushing through various social reforms over the years. Um, And he seems to wield quite a bit of power within the New South Wales Parliament. So... Look, it's it's hard to know. Like it's when we when we sort of saw that bill being put forward because it's those were the three main um, things: prostitution, surrogacy, and self ID. And there's sort of a few other bits and pieces as well. But it was just like all this stuff all at once, and sort of you kind of question like, does he actually think he can get all this, or is he just sort of presenting all this so that when we get the one thing that he wants, it doesn't seem as bad? Or like, yeah. So it's it's kind of hard to tell exactly what um, his agenda and strategy is. Um, in terms of whether or not it will go through, it's hard to tell. I don't think it's probably going to be like the priority for the New South Wales government. I think, I think the conversion ban will be a priority and maybe even the self-ID stuff. But actually at the moment in New South Wales, we've got a review of our anti-discrimination laws taking place. And the three things I mentioned, surrogacy, prostitution and um, self-ID, I think they all somehow tie into the Anti-Discrimination Act, in which case... I don't think there'll be changes made until that review's actually taken place, but who really knows? So, um, yeah, look, it, it could it could happen, but hopefully not. And to be honest, hopefully we actually make a turn like some of these other countries have, in other, you know, like France, Canada, Norway, Sweden, and actually introduce some more progressive, actually progressive laws for women in Australia. And I know that um, in South Australia we had the first Nordic model-style bill being introduced this year, which is amazing it's a huge deal and I've heard that there's actually some chance that it could be successful which would just be absolutely incredible and could provide a um a sort of I guess a map for other Australian states and territories just remind anyone who doesn't know what the Nordic model um means for prostitution legislation yeah so the Nordic model basically recognizes that prostitution is rooted in inequality in inequality um that it is the violent commodification of women's bodies predominantly and basically criminalizes the buyer of sex but decriminalizes the seller and ensures that um there are exit strategies for those who want to exit the industry so what the nordic model 
sort of is supposed to mean is you have a if there's a raid on a brothel the police show up and arrest the punters and the pimps and social workers um work with the women to help them exit and get services um and i'm a massive supporter of the nordic model it's one of those it's one of those points of um uh, like almost unexpected policy agreement between radical feminists and conservative Christians, that both groups support the Nordic model, um, and indeed, you know, have various other points of agreement on surrogacy and 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 prostitution and whatever. It, in terms of different sort of, if we're thinking about different state state legislatures. Why is it that there seems to be such, why is Victoria the massive progressive state? Is it because it's urban? Like what can you, for for non-Australians, could you explain a bit about some of the, the different, the diff, the, some of the cultural differences across the country? Yeah, so New South Wales and Queensland tend to be a bit more conservative. I think Queensland definitely because it's sort of a bit more kind of country-based. With Victoria, I mean, Victoria is by far the most extreme state on social issues particularly gender ideology um and yeah i honestly am not really sure why that is people in victoria could probably tell you better than i could (laughs) um it's just very it used um, to be quite a conservative country right like famously in the 60s it was much more conservative than the uk yeah 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 i don't really know what's happened to Australia um and New Zealand's even worse like New Zealand would be on par with Victoria if not worse um and yeah look they've they've got these sort of these activist groups there who have been working very 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 hard over many many years to sort of make the changes they want to see and they've been largely successful I think on a lot of levels um but I'm not sure why it is they've congregated in Victoria um as opposed to other states. I mean, look, ACT is also pretty pretty extreme as well. Yeah, maybe it's urban. I don't know. I will. I mean, they're also a separate issue, but I was amazed by the degree to which my Australian relatives just went along with the most incredible, like incredibly authoritarian lockdowns, like wouldn't go for a walk in the bush when they wouldn't see anyone, (laughs) you know, wearing masks on their own kind of stuff. By far, Australia and New Zealand had some of the worst lockdowns, but people also just kind of seemed to acquiesce to it and seemed to sort of just, They just took it, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, I think it's something that people who haven't been to Australia, aren't familiar with it, don't really, the, 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 the stereotype of Australia being laid back isn't really true. I mean, maybe in terms of, the culture partly but not really in terms of the politics like actually the politics can be can be a lot more authoritarian than other parts of the anglosphere yeah it's true that's true new zealand is often held up by um people outside new zealand as being a kind of model because um because the sex industry is decriminalized there and the claim is that there isn't very much trafficking um which isn't really a fair test because new zealand is one of the most remote possibly the most remote country in the world right so there isn't a lot of like inflow of people full stop so you'd kind of expect it to be relatively immune from having a big traffic big trafficking networks but also my memory from looking at it years ago is that like you have an enormously disproportionate number of um indigenous girls and women in the sex industry i i'm guessing it's the same in australia in terms of having a disproportionate number of migrant women 
that seems to just always be true in basically every country you look at, particularly countries that have a lot of have a have a, a legalized or decriminalized system and have a lot of sex tourism and so on. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about the prostitution industry and um, and women who are drawn into prostitution is that they generally come from disadvantaged backgrounds, and those from indigenous populations generally are disadvantaged. So, um, so they come from those kinds of demographics. They also come often from backgrounds of trauma and sexual abuse, um, and all of that, which again comes back to the issue of whether or not prostitution is just a job like any other and whether or not it is a free choice and I think for the majority of women it's not. It can't be a coincidence that you end up with the women with the the fewest options end up doing this particularly awful option right? Exactly and it honestly it really frustrates me when people sort of say like oh you know it's 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 a job like people should be able to choose it and it's like these women <laughs> they don't they, they're not they're not exercising genuine autonomy in the situation because so often they feel as if that's all they can do to feed their children or that's the only option that they're presented with because of, you know, the current, you know, the circumstances that they're in. So um, I just think it's a very, very shallow view of what choice is. Speaking of uh, women being exploited economically, right, the surrogacy industry, there have been some high profile cases involving Australians. What is the law on surrogacy currently in Australia? So surrogacy, commercial surrogacy, is illegal across Australia. Um, I think back in maybe 2016, the federal government did an inquiry into surrogacy and basically concluded that um, there was no way they could legalise it and completely avoid the um, the risk to women being exploited. That was sort of one of the key conclusions that they came to. Um, that being said, uh, surrogacy commercial surrogacy outside Australia is definitely being practiced in the sense that Australians are definitely going overseas to places, you know, like Ukraine or, or, or Asia uh, or America and um, basically buying babies and bringing them back to Australia. Um, and that's sort of, that's actually also illegal, but a blind eye has basically been turned to that in this country. And is it the same pattern that we're seeing where, you know, Victoria is most liberal on all of these things on, on surrogacy, on the sex industry, on self-ID? So the surrogacy is still illegal in every state. Um, New South Wales is a state at the moment where the independent MP is trying to legalise commercial surrogacy if it takes place outside New South Wales. Um, and then there are sort of, you know, activists and advocates in, in different states um, and sort of, I guess, nationwide who are trying to push. Do they permit um, non-commercial surrogacy, like altruistic? Yes, altruistic surrogacy, my understanding is that's legal across the country, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. We, we, okay, we have the same sort of thing in the UK. Um, and the push, I mean, some people would want to push for commercial, obviously, British citizens are going overseas and, and using commercial surrogacy services in other countries. I was just going to say, like, um, obviously, there were some high profile cases um, recently with Ukraine and during lockdowns where Australians, you know, couldn't get their, couldn't get their surrogate babies out of the various countries. Um, and that has actually been used to advocate further for commercial surrogacy in Australia, basically saying that, you know, if, if we were actually able to have it here, we wouldn't have that problem. So um, that's been quite an interesting development. Yeah, I mean, it, it's all kind of, it's coming from the same set of politics, right? It's coming from, it's the same groups who are advocating all of these things and often the same groups who are pushing back against all of these things. It does, like, like, I think, as you said earlier, with prostitution self-id surrogacy it comes as a package i mean 
I mean, why? I guess is my question. I don't know if I really have a clear answer to that, but it does clearly. I mean, I guess that proponents would say that it's to do with bodily autonomy, that you should be able to buy and sell um, whatever. Um, I mean, I think, I guess there's, I think, I guess I sort of agree with them in the sense that there is something in there about privileging a freedom above, above absolutely everything else. I just don't think that the result of doing that actually results in greater net freedom for everyone. I think what typically ends up happening is you end up with just more freedom for people who have money usually and other advantages. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's sort of that, yeah, politics of choice and autonomy that sort of is the thread that ties those three particular issues together. Um, And I think that, as I mentioned earlier, there's a real sort of shallow understanding of what choice is, particularly when it comes to um, women or men engaging in these kinds of activities. And so same with prostitution, women who are um, renting out their wombs for surrogacy usually aren't women who are, you know, um, living very advantageous lives. They're not usually women who come from high socioeconomic backgrounds. They're normally women who have backgrounds of poverty or other kinds of, you know, restraint. So it's all kind of, yeah, it's, it's a very sort of similar situation for those women as well. And so I guess, again, it's just very frustrating that this idea of choice has been championed and kind of sought for at all costs with a not actually looking at what's been chosen and whether or not that's actually good for these women or people who are involved and b not actually looking at whether or not a free choice is actually able to be made um because of the kinds of constraints and restraints that are around um this decision making so yeah but definitely there's a an over um zealous focus on choice i just don't think it's um it's just not very well understood. And look, I think there's also a lot of other interests at play as well. I think for all three of those um, industries, the surrogacy one, the prostitution one, and the transgender one, I think there's other interests at play. I think financial interests for sure. There's a lot of money to be made from all three of those. Um, and I mean, and same same with pornography too. I mean, I don't know if you heard recently, but we had a um, we had all these inquiries over the last few years going into whether or not there should be an age verification set up system set up for pornography in Australia. The process took several years. Um, at the end of it, the e-safety commissioner basically said that, yes, we should trial some kind of age verification system. Um, and the Australian government came back a few months ago and basically said, oh, well, no, you know what, we might actually just leave it up to the industry to regulate itself first and see how they go. And it's like the industry has no interest in regulating itself. Um, and it just makes you wonder like what kind of power the industry is sort of wielding to be able to kind of get that outcome when everything else is pointing in the opposite direction. Like everything else is saying that early exposure to pornography is contributing to the normalization of violence against women is contributing to child on child sexual abuse. And so I think the same things goes for the sex work industry, or I shouldn't say sex work, the prostitution industry, um, and the fertility or surrogacy industry as well. I think there's a lot of vested interests and I think a lot of those are financial. And this kind of unholy alliance between big business and progressive activism. I don't think that most progressive activists think that's what they're, they're sort of shilling for. Um, but there is in practice often this this alignment um, with some actually really enormous and really um, predatory industries like the porn industry. 
So is this a Labour government who is 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 stepping back from regulating the porn industry? Yes, it is. Yeah. And what, what I mean, what one of the bizarre things, oh, whether it's bizarre, whatever, one of the things that I think is absolutely true in the UK, for all of their failings, the Conservatives are actually better on um, these issues pertaining to women's rights than are the Labour Party, even though the Labour Party absolutely would present itself as being the more feminist party, but that's not what happens in practice. Is there the same kind of partisan split? You know, if you're a if you're a, if you're an Australian woman and you want to vote just based on who's going to be better on um, these issues that we care about as feminists, who would you who would you want to vote for? I mean, it's tricky. Um, it's I guess, unfortunately, Labor has just sold out women in so many ways, whether it be on yeah the transgender issue or on others, and so it makes it almost impossible to vote for them. And sadly, there are a lot of sort of left-wing women, whether they be from Labour or the Greens, who now feel completely politically homeless because they just feel so betrayed by their party. So Labour definitely not in favour of women's rights. And, um, yeah, Uh, but the Liberal Party, I mean, the tricky thing with the Liberal Party is that there are some really excellent Liberal MPs who are really advocating strongly on these issues at the moment, sort of at federal and state level. As a whole, it's a bit frustrating because I feel like they're not coming out strongly enough on these issues as a party. Um, like they're not often the ones who will be pushing these radical social reforms, but they also don't really seem to often do a lot to kind of push back against them either, um, which is which is frustrating. So I think, yeah, between the two at the moment, Liberal would be a lot better just because they're not pushing this the stuff to start with and there are actually some really good individuals there who are trying to make a difference and who I think you know are trying to bring the party along with them as well standing a thought history yelling slow down slightly that seems to be what most um conservative governments do in practice the episode is not over there is another maybe 30 minutes of content but it is behind a paywall if you would like access to that content if you would like to show support for the show pay subscriptions are what keep it on the road. Allow me to pay my producers, put food on the table, all that important stuff. The extended version of the podcast is available at my Substack, louiseperry.substack.com. That's where you can also find, as I say every week, bonus episodes, extended episodes, uh, the MMM chat community, all of this. Um, please sign up for a pay subscription. It makes such an enormous difference to my ability to keep producing the podcast and grow it even bigger, produce more episodes, all that good stuff. There are other ways that you can show your support for the show as well. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can like us on YouTube. You can tell your friends and family uh, how much you like the show. If you find it valuable, all of these things make an enormous difference to our ability to keep making it. Thank you so much. <laughs>